Hi guys, it's Andy McDonald, physiotherapist and strength and conditioning coach, and welcome to the Informed Performance Podcast. On today's show, I will be catching up locally to where I live in Philadelphia with Mike Tucker, the head of strength and conditioning for football at Villanova University. Myself and Mike connected online like many of us have during lockdown and through this pandemic and had a chat about a month or so ago. On the podcast, we've had some great minds in sport and conversation frequently visits our evolving use and ongoing maturity using or implementing technology and data in sport. With this in mind, I wanted to go the other direction with Mike, who's at a program that is not overtly showered in digital tools and resources. So I hope you enjoy some variation here. Over the next few weeks, we've got some great guests, including Adam Loacono at the Phoenix Suns, Andrew Gray at West Tigers, Nick Winkleman at Irish Rugby, and Mick Hughes talking about ACL rehab. Please, please make sure you hit subscribe to ensure that you catch this great lineup of episodes coming up. This episode of the Informed Performance podcast has been sponsored by Vold Performance, makers of the Airbands wireless BFR system. Airbands are the world's first fully wireless and automated BFR training cuffs. The cuffs are equipped with intelligent calibration tools and controlled via the Airbands mobile app and accurately inflate to the user's personalized pressure zone safely restricting blood flow and increasing the limb's muscle response to a weight stimulus. With no cords and no manual pump, airbands are a new, safe and smarter option in the BFR space. So go to our sponsors page, vodperformance.com, to find out more. Without further ado, let's get into today's episode of the Informed Performance Podcast with me, Andy McDonald, and today's guest, Mike Tucker. Mike Tucker, or Coach, welcome to the show. It's uh, it's a shame we couldn't meet indoors somewhere uh, in person, given our close geography. But um, anyway, how are you, mate? No, man, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, when uh, when this is all over, we'll have to uh, connect in, in person in Philly together. Yeah, for sure. And just to kind of kick us off, could you tell the listeners uh, about your background um, and just bring us sort of forwards to the current day and what you're doing? Yeah, sure. Um, started, grew up in downtown Pennsylvania, which is outside Philadelphia. Uh, played college football at Holy Cross in uh, Massachusetts. Uh, was really influenced by my strength coach there, Jeff Oliver. Um, he does a tremendous job up there, a tremendous person as well. Um, so I got to coach there in the summers as well um, while he ran a camp. Um, following that, I was in North Dakota State with Jim Kramer and their strength and conditioning staff working with football. Following that, I was the D-line coach and head strength coach at Cooktown University under Jim Clements, who gave uh, 22-year-old the head strength conditioning coach. I thank him every day for that uh, because he, I made thousands of mistakes and, and he didn't fire me on the spot. So uh, great learning experience there. Then I left to be an intern at Clemson University with primarily with baseball and track. After that, I was at San Jose State as an assistant with football, uh, head women's basketball, women's volleyball, and I say baseball already, um, baseball as well. So now I'm on my third year at Villanova University, uh, working with the football team as the head strength coach. And you mentioned that you, you know, you began your sort of sporting career playing football yourself and you now work with football again. How, how kind of well known do you try to make it, um, amongst the players that you currently work with that you used to play yourself? Does it, is that something you, you try and communicate and get across for buy-in or for, for rapport in any way? Uh, the only time I mentioned my playing career is how average of a player I was, I think. Um, and having weight room help my career as much as it did. 
Um, the, the players don't care that I played, to be honest, uh, right? Like the coaches who, well, back when I played or, you know, I was this, I was that. It ain't about you, right? It's not about me. It's about the, the players. So um, that's kind of my take. I try and talk about a, as little as my career as possible. And I guess anyway, the, the familiarity you have will come across in your jargon and the way you talk shop with the players regardless. Yeah, like they they know, right? And like you just mentioned, the way you can communicate, the way you can articulate, the way you can translate it to the field via your your verbiage and your conversations. I think they're like, oh, okay, you know, it's football too, right? I coached football for two years. I was in defensive staff meetings, watching film, right, for two seasons. So um, I do have, you know, the the coaching side of it as well. So I think that that's helped only enhanced my knowledge and career and ability to connect with athletes. Yeah, we've got quite a global audience and the main split is across the UK and the States. And then we pick up quite a few in Australia and around other countries. But the UK being like one of the big parts of our audience, can you just explain for the listeners who are less familiar with um, college football in the States? Can you fill them in on kind of uh, what the the Nova setup is for football and kind of how you fit into a a system of leagues? Yeah, sure. So Villanova is in the FCS conference so in, in the states it's right fbs is your power five your top tier fcs would be that second division at the university level division two would be another tier below that division three would be another tier below that and then you have naia and juco kind of below that so you know we're in the second tier and in, in villanova university we're very fortunate is towards the top of that tier um from a you know from a support standpoint, from a ranking standpoint. So we, we do get a lot of amenities. We, you know, our weight room is pretty nice. Our locker room is pretty nice. We have good nutritional support. Um, but I'd say from a, you know, kind of laying the foundation of college football, that's kind of where we fall in, in the system. Yeah. And at this time of recording, you know, what's the, what's the current situation for you guys in terms of training? What's the current state of affairs looking like at Villanova? Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely different, right? So everybody's kind of had. Um, I've had a couple conversations with different people, you know, across states and and in in the overseas as well um, about their current training situations. And everybody's is different. Um, at Villanova, we have twenty sports working out of one weight room, so you can imagine how difficult scheduling is for that, right? Um, understanding and realizing that hey, football used to train eight hours a week, right? And lacrosse used to train in five or six and all these other teams. And it's like, well, there's only one weight room and we can't have group sizes of 30 or 40 anymore. So we're doing one person per rack, which we have 16 racks. So that's a benefit. Some, some schools only have eight or 10, right? People might think 16 is a lot, but when you have over 400 athletes, 16 is not that many. Um, so we're on one rack per person. Everybody's with a mask on um, and, you know, with ton of disinfecting going on. So Currently, football will be doing two runs right on the field, which will be sprint dominant, sprint focused, speed development focused, and then doing two lifts a week. Um, not ideal by any means, but that, that's the cards we're dealt with. I mean, if it makes you feel better, mate, when I worked collegiately in the UK, I worked out of a performance gym with two racks and two platforms and dumbbells, um, yeah. <laughs> trying to get a team of rugby players through. So, um yeah, I, I, but I get it though. And, you know, with the playing numbers that you guys have uh, and the amount of access you need, you you know, the current current times are definitely making it a challenge in terms of logistics, I'm sure. Yeah. So instead of two groups of, you know, 40 guys, we were going six groups of 16. So you can imagine how across 20 sports, 
going from one or two groups per team to now, you know, three or four groups per team, how we're limited for time, right? The way you can only be open 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And it's booked the entire day. And no coach is really thrilled about it. You know, we're having conversations daily with these coaches. No coach is thrilled about it, but that's the way it has to be, right? We can't get more, we can't get closer than six feet. So I can't imagine your scenario with two racks trying to get a rugby team in there. You'd be there for 10 hours with just one team. <laughs> yeah, we, it was a lot of, um, a lot of the planning was just mad management about how you get them through a, a, you know, a space and around the equipment logistically, not necessarily perfectly from a training standpoint, but trying to find a compromise between, you know, te- technical and reality. Um, exactly in terms of like your programming at the moment and you don't need to go too you know too far into the weeds but how much are you having to you know delegate to the athletes themselves to take accountability for I don't know whether you are or whether you're having to you know shift the programs onto them a little bit more than you would previously yeah I mean logistically we can't necessarily say hey go train here right so we can only really worry about when they're here what they're going to be doing so um, just trying to program what they need, right? They've been on the couch for four to six months. We don't know where they're at. Um, from a max standpoint, we don't know where they're at. From a conditioning standpoint, I mean, we do know where they're at. They're deconditioned, right? They're detrained. They're weaker. Um, so that's where they're going to be at. That's that's real life, right? Nobody went home during quarantine with all the gyms closed and gained 20 pounds on their bench and squat max, right? Um you know, maybe, maybe some did, but the vast majority became weaker, slower, less in shape, no matter how dialed in of an athlete they are. So you coming in and saying, okay, we'll treat this just like week one of an off season, right? You're blowing smoke and, and you're not meeting the athletes where they're at and they're going to break because you're going to throw too much at them too soon. So we're being very basic, very simplified, um, a ton of mechanic stuff, very slower tempo to reaccustom and accumulate some work workload on the field and in the weight room yeah and a lot of our listeners will be especially the coaches amongst them will will really be able to relate to you in these current times and have you got like a season start date in mind or is the periodization quite open-ended because i'm you know i'm sure a lot of people are gonna whatever your answer is they're going to be able to relate yeah so um speaking to that you know at the Current situation in college football, across the entire spectrum that I laid out, I think less than maybe 10% of teams are playing. At the FBS level, I think there's three conferences playing out of, you know, 12 or or 14. And at the FCS level, I think there's less than, you know, 5 or 10% of teams playing. And then below that, I think it's maybe 1% of D3, NAI, JUCO. So um, there's talks of a spring season. And we may prepare like there is a spring season starting in, you know, February, but, um, you know, we could go a full year. Unfortunately, it's really up in the air. You know, this whole thing changes not only daily, but hourly. Right. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend I have all the answers. I will, I will shuffle my cards and and I'll, I'm going to get dealt the cards to get dealt and we're going to plan accordingly. You know, you always like to kind of work backwards from a date. So, you know, we kind of have a tentative spring date and maybe a tentative next fall date. And let's work backwards from those and see where we're at. Um, but right now, psychologically, I think is really important getting the guys' minds right and just getting them back and used to, hey, it sucks not being, 
you know, being five yards apart from your teammates and, and everybody's wearing a mask. Like it's not enjoyable. Uh, my voice is a little hoarse just because I have to wear a mask and I'm coaching and I'm coaching from farther away. So I've had, th- this is our second day in a row and I've had three groups each day. And it's just like, I just have, I, I'm not accustomed to the, the capacity coaching wise, right? I haven't, I haven't been coaching nearly as much as, as I have in these last 48 hours. So um, it's definitely an adjustment period for everybody. Yeah. As a kind of, you know, looking back over the, the isolation window that we've had through to now, has it given you time to develop in other ways as a coach or have you been able to focus your own, you know, career in a different way over this time that, you know, you think will serve you benefits moving forwards whenever this goes back to, you know, whatever normality is going to be? Without question, I think that if you did not utilize quarantine to your advantage to work on your craft as a coach, you missed the boat. You'll never have much time for continuing education in your life. So um, I was hitting it really hard, the reading, the researching, the, the Zoom conversations, the networking, things like that, just trying to learn as much as possible and be a sponge to soak up, you know, during, you know, summer workouts or winter workouts when we may have, you know, 5 to 6 a.m. is reading and then 6 to 7 a.m. is set up and then you're coaching the rest of the day. Um, you know, and meetings and other stuff at night, and, you know, during quarantine, you know, you had meetings and other things, but you know, you didn't have as many coaching hours. So you got to fill that time with something and that better be continuing education. You know, um, I continued to dive into Altus. Um, I'm a big proponent of their work they do. Um, so, you know, I try and diversify my expertise, right? I think people silo themselves as the quote unquote mobility guy and all they read is Kelly Starrett and FRC and all that stuff or the speed guy and all they read is Altus and Ken Clark, right? Or the weight room guy and they're all Louis Simmons, uh, Travis Mash. Like, okay, you have to write the recipe and you have to figure out what's best for your team in that situation during that time of year. And you better have more tools than just a hammer in your toolbox as a coach because a hammer ain't going to work for every situation. I think even probably even more so now where unfortunately some teams and organizations are going to go leaner. So the demand for coaches and clinicians and sports scientists to like to to be multi-skilled and be better generalists is you know could be a bit of a reality and a, a requirement I think moving forwards. I, I think that's a great point you bring up and generalist versus specialist range by David Epstein's a great book and when you look at that right when you're a specialist that's great if you're the mobility guy and you're a specialist that's great but what if how how much does that limit you from a marketing perspective you might be the best mobility guy but how much does that limit you? And I think as we talk about high performance and this field being more and more unified, right? Physical therapists better know strength and conditioning. Strength and conditioning better know ATC. These, these, these fields need to merge. And like you said, not in the short term because of finances, because of this pandemic we're dealing with. But in the long term, when you think about it, it's the best situation for the athlete. You need to have a unified approach to rehab, to return to play, to training, right? for sport for the sport coaches you need to integrate every single technical tactical physical psychological coactive you need to integrate all that in order to put the best product together for that athlete's development as i've mentioned in the show intro i've i've had some frequent conversations with guests about tech and data and how they implement or interpret it in their teams problems or environments when we spoke before, mate, I, I hope you don't mind me saying, compared to maybe some of the Big Ten college football programs or, or the different pro leagues, you're not um, overtly spoilt with toys. 
I'd I'd love today to to chat about how you approach training and speed development with your football guys, as I think it'll be a really nice insight into problem solving and coaching uh, fundamentally from a place of practical utility. You know, as strength coaches, we've all commonly read similar titles, especially at the entry level. Then we get our hands dirty coaching, programming and planning. And then we often now discuss the kind of nuances of how we monitor, record and analyze performance using typically digitalized systems. And I think rightly or wrongly, there's a pressure for us to keep up with the Joneses and offer the same tools and facilities as our rivals. Um, Sorry, long spiel. But can you talk us through your athlete training system, I guess, if we call it that. But what I'm really yes. curious to know is uh, what do you have and use? And if, and also, I guess, what would you like to have? You know, if you had to pick just one or two very carefully implemented things, hardware or software-wise, what would be the most impactful? Big question. If you and maybe just hit the explanation of your system first, that would be probably the best way to go. Yeah, okay. So I'll, I'll talk about our system and then I'll talk about tech. So um, for our system, right, we, we pretty much base it off Charlie Francis' vertical integration high-low CNS model, right? A lot of James Smith influence, a lot of Altus influence. We're a speed development program. We are not a conditioning medium intensity program. So we follow that high-low model. The low days are going to be our aerobic base, um, while the high days are our high output, max velocity and acceleration and power dominant days. So when we look at that within that model, right, and you alluded to toys, right, and we and we aren't blessed with a lot, and but we do have a lot more than most people. And I'll say this about tech: don't just gather data to gather data. I was at one school in the past, and I won't say which school, but we had every gizmo, and we gathered all this data. And I look out on the floor, and nobody's coaching, right? They're just kind of standing there looking at the iPads, and it's it's really telling that. This athlete is in our weight room for one hour a day, maybe two if you had a field session prior. You, you have to make that athlete and you have to coach them because you can't worry about, oh, well, this piece of data, this gym aware says this, or this Omega Wave says this, he can't train today. I tested a seven out of seven on Omega Wave for a month straight, every single day, a seven out of seven. And I felt terrible some days and I felt great other days. So I don't know how much validity is in that. Um, you know, I know the research says some stuff, but my personal experience wasn't great with that. But I think a lot of coaches gather all this data and collect it. Data is important when you implement tactical change with it, right? If you implement applicable changes with the information in real time scenarios to assist your coaching, coaching is still valuable. I'd rather take a really experienced quality coach to help in my staff than to buy some fancy piece of tech. Right. Because that coach can have eyes. They can impact on have an impact on that athlete's movement ability, right? Through coaching cues, through um alternative exercise, whatever it may be, that experienced coach can have a higher impact than I think a piece of data can. But with that being said, we we utilize some data and some tech, right? We have just jump mats and we have tendo units for our weight room. Um, so you know, you get your your vertical jump height on the just jump mats, you can get bar speed on the tendos. Um and then we utilize a Cybex um, timing system for the field work, which I think they use in the 2016 combine. And I was talking to somebody recently about this and they're like, okay, well, how do you get your entire team through that? Like if we have a group of 30 guys where we may not necessarily t- time their, their fly-ins every single day, cause we only have one timing gate. 
right? You have a free lap where you can time multiple guys, multiple guys, multiple guys. If I, if I try and do 32 guys through one timing gate, right, I'm going to be there all day. Um, so you got to pick and choose when you're going to do it within your within your structure and within your system. So when we're, you know, deloading our, our, our load of chains and, you know, it's a little later in the cycle, we'll, we'll, hit, a, we'll hit a fly in 10, um, you know, and, and we're kind of now that post COVID, we're kind of trying to get his divorce velocity profiling here. Um, you know, with that being said, because we do have smaller groups now, so maybe we can, you know, time them more frequently. So we're trying to play around with our equipment and utilize it to the best of our ability. There's a lot of schools and organizations that have all this tech and they use it, but what, what applicable change are they actually utilizing it? Right. What change are they making? Does the head coach bought in? Hey coach, their acute to chronic workload ratios through the roof this week. You got to cut periods off practice. And sometimes the answer is, well, no, we need the reps. And it's like, well, then why am I crunching the data for two hours? Why did we spend $50,000 on this system? So I think the data is only as good as the applicable actions that are, that are, that come from it. Um, and I guess that's a long winded answer to say, we'll utilize the data that we do have in an immensely important fashion. And I'd rather do that with a finite amount of data than have an overwhelming amount of data and end up with um, paralysis by analysis. Yeah. And like you said, the, you'd rather have a, a more, you said you'd rather have a more experienced coach with good coaching abilities than uh, an expensive piece of tech. And I think, you know, either way, whether it's staff or tools, they're both resources towards an athletic uh, problem or performance goal. So I think when you've got a decision, the more tech you implement, typically the more time you need to spend understanding the data as well. So yeah, I agree with you, mate. I think you make a really good point and you don't you don't dismiss the value of tech at the same time, which I think is very balanced and sane as well. Um, if you had to you know, implement one thing that you don't have, what would it be? I know it's a bit of a wish list question, but where, <laughs> yeah. where do you see your biggest gap at the moment in terms of the information you, you understand? Yeah, that's a good question because there, there's tons of tools out there, right? And it depends on what your team values, right? We value speed development over conditioning. So I'm going to I'm gonna be biased towards potentially a 1080 sprint, right? But how frequently can you use that? If you only have one and you have a group of 30, right? Let's talk about ideal world versus real world. How applicable can we make it? We need four, right? To, to maybe cycle through it at a better rate, right? And with that being said, it's like, okay, maybe you go GPS, and the GPS data, you could take to that coach the, the situation I just outlined. And no matter how much you educate on the importance, they could be a quote unquote old school coach and run them into the ground at practice. So what piece of technology, the piece of technology is only as useful as the implementation of it. So for us, it'd be the 1080 sprint, perhaps, because that means I'd have total control. Um, now, one might not do us enough, but four probably would uh, just because you can really analyze um, the, the force velocity profiling, you know, maybe in a more specific manner than, than the other methods that we're utilizing right now with sleds and chains. And, you know, you're, you've worked in and around the collegiate system pretty widely, um, for the coaches that you, you've interacted with or seen coming through the ranks, are you seeing as stronger abilities to, you know, perform man management and, uh, actual, you know, coaching eyes, coaching skills. Are you seeing a, as high a level of coaching coming through now? Obviously, we've got more resources, books. There's more content for people to consume. Are you seeing as good a coaches coming through, or I'm, I'm wondering, it does some of the uh, the techier side of things? Do you think that sometimes becomes a distraction from coaching skills um, when you begin your career? 
Yeah, I think I mean, shoot, with our with our interns, I, I feel like they're they're way past what where I was at when I was their age and, and other coaches coming up that I have conversations with. I'm like, you're how old? I mean, this dude is ten times smarter than me right now. Um, but when I when I analyze the coaches, it's like like I kind of mentioned earlier, you don't want to silo yourself as a tech guy. You don't want to silo yourself as, oh, that tech is BS and I'm just a barbell guy. Guess what? The technological advance are only going to come more and more advanced. So you better be familiar with it. Whether you lean on it and rely on it is really up to you and your system. Um, but truly understanding it, it is definitely crucial in my opinion. But, you know, the younger coaches, I think, are reading more frequently. They're talking to other coaches more frequently. At least that's that's the perspective I get from coaches. Um, but, you know, there's good and bad coaches everywhere. There's bad coaches at at high level and low level organizations. There are really good coaches at high level and low level organizations. I think people fall in love with the logo sometimes and, uh, you know, attribute where they're at with their level or experience. And I think that um, that gets lost in the mud sometimes a little bit. There's elite coaches that I've learned tons from at really low at the high school level. Right. And I think that's a huge tribute to them and their experience and saying, Hey, and I'm always open to learning new things. So I always go to them and they're talking, Hey, what are you guys doing at Villanova? I'm like, dude, t- you teach me, man. I'm always trying to learn and get better. So I've loved interacting with coaches at all levels, to be honest with you. Yeah. And I think that's key as well. I think sometimes there's a rush to the top, isn't there? And people, when they begin their career, especially now more than ever, I think don't necessarily want to put in the yards um, at the younger end of the market with high school or, or maybe even the more amateur end of the market sports wise, where actually I think you, when, if you cut your teeth in that environment, you actually get to witness probably more dramatic changes in, uh, you know, athletic movement, athletic performance, and the change that you can make to someone's athletic development overall versus maybe if you go straight in at the at the deep end in pro leagues you, you don't want to make mistakes the athletes are doing well and you've probably got a smaller margin for change or capacity to make change um i don't know how that i don't know if that rings true and what with what you've seen as well i think every coach should have experience at the high school level or with coaching with with youth athletes like you i agree with you 100 percent, coach that is extremely important one for relationship building, connecting and just being around them and then getting your coaching reps in. Cause they're going to tell you exactly what you say. You say, butt back in a squat, they may hinge, right? Because you're, they're going to do a lot of stuff and they may over exaggerate it. So you get a little more dialed in in your coaching cues, but you see more stuff. I mean, I can't speak highly enough about coaching at that level because it's so important. And I think, and in the U S at least, I think it's changing a little, but I don't think it's valued nearly enough at the youth, youth and high school level. I think we need more coaches there. I think we need to pay them higher salaries. I think that that is going to only enhance the product that these colleges get. Cause a lot of times at the college level, right? I get guys and they're broken from high school and you have to reset every single movement pattern because just some coach on their staff who's not certified was their, their, their quote unquote weights coach. And they do something that, you know, maybe existed 30 years ago and the coaches are sitting on the machines, quote unquote, observing while <laughs> while the team's lifting. So I think having a really sound foundational program in the youth and high school level is extremely important. And it's common, isn't it? But what a, you know, it is a bit of a waste of time. It's not a waste of time because you have to correct it. But, uh, you know, it's a wasted opportunity when you're receiving an athlete further up the ladder and you're doing things that should have just been done way earlier on fundamentally in their development. 
Correct. I, I ask every guy that comes in, we'll do a survey and we'll, we'll sit down and have a one-on-one conversation, talk about life, but we'll also talk about past training experiences. So, you know, when we get into this past training experiences, I'll, I'll ask, you know, what, what have you done in the weight room? And I am elated when I hear guys are like, oh yeah, we, I didn't lift much because I was a three sport athlete or, you know, yeah, we didn't do weights. It's like, great. That means you have like, no, nothing has been ingrained into you incorrectly or improperly. You're, you're a fresh canvas, right? So the guys who would normally, I know this was me in high school. I was a heavy, like we lifted heavy in my high school, probably too quick, too soon. I may have had poor patterns ingrained in me. Right. And a lot of these guys who come from these bigger time high schools who have a weightlifting program, but not a certified coach running it. A lot of times they have those poor movement patterns ingrained in them. So I get really excited when somebody does not have a big weight room background, to be honest with you. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier on that you've got maybe a bit of a a bias or an interest towards speed training. And you discussed briefly your appreciation for the Altus material and what they put out there. Um, You know, I've, you know, digging into what you've been putting out there content wise. I saw that recently you've been putting out some uh, kinogram sprinting posts. Um, You know, how do you make use of the kinogram? And also, could you explain what it is exactly to the listeners um, and maybe how you use it as a, as a a movement tool in your arsenal? Yeah. So that's a, that's a great point. So Altus, you know, I went out there and visited, they've been a huge influence, um, you know, in my speed development, their kinogram pretty much analyzes the gait cycle, right? And it's going to analyze five, five points in their max, the athlete's max velocity sprinting touchdown, right? Stance phase, toe off, swing phase and flight phase. So those five are big time landmarks when it comes to speed development. So here we are in, and and then now we're going to video it and we're going to take pictures of each individual moment that that athlete is in that position. So during that sprint, that video analysis, I'll screenshot where they are each time, right? And that allows me to see what shapes the athletes are in. So the pictures will allow me to see the shapes each athlete's in and where they're deficient in a shape or really proficient in a shape, right? And then I need to understand the rhythm and patterns that go along with that. The kinogram doesn't tell the whole story, but it shows the shapes really, really well. So how they get in and out of those shapes is really important. And then the rhythm at which they get in and out of those shapes is also really important. And that's where your coach's eye and the video analysis comes in. So we've utilized that with my own coaching eyes, like, okay, let me see which guys can get in and out of which shapes. All right. And then when you, when you show guys like, okay, then it's just another form of coaching, right? It's visual feedback on their own performance. So Kingram is just one method we utilize, right? For speed development. It is not the end-all be-all. I do think it's beneficial and effective. I don't think one exercise drill or modality is an end-all be-all. That's why I prefer a coach over an experienced coach over, you know, a modality or a toy like you, like you referred it to. But I do think the kinogram is a very useful piece of equipment. Yeah. Like I think, I feel like I think you're alluding to, there's no, you know, there's no silver bullets, but is the kinogram something that you do with, uh, you know, with everyone uh, that would take a lot of manpower or, or is it something you do? individually when you you have a question about a certain athlete i think i think the second point is is the correct one right i will not make a kinogram for 90 guys each speed session that we do right because then i'm behind the camera or i have a camera set up and i'm I'm videoing and taking screenshots every one it's like okay you can see guys right and you can cue and if guys are you know potentially having an issue right 
or so one one way we'll use it if guys are having an issue getting in and out of a shape and I want more analysis of it and I want to dive into that individual a little deeper that'll be one way and another way is return to play right I think is really important so maybe a guy at an ACL and I want to see his left first right discrepancy okay um but that those are I I think those are you know a couple ways we can utilize it but then you got to remember and Dan Path speaks about this there's an allowable bandwidth for each individual's sprint technique, right? Your 300 pounder should not look like, or, or probably won't look like, right? A hundred meter sprinter, right? His shapes are probably going to be different, but the demands of a sport is a lot different. So you got to determine as a coach in your system, what's an allowable bandwidth, right? Our ultimate goal is to increase rate of force, to, uh, re- increase rate of force development, right? Increase sprint speed, increase field speed. Okay. So getting them to 90% proficiency is good enough. You know what I mean? So it's where do you draw the line as a coach on what's allowable and what's not, I think is important. Yeah. So I guess if you know there's an outlier, you may want to look at it or perhaps you rely on your coaching eye and then intuitively does that trigger something in your mind to then look at more analytically? Is that a fair sort of summary of that? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. I think, like you said, it, it we use the eyes as a tool. We don't lean on it and do it every single day. Right. Yeah. I want to, I want to see that guy a little deeper, maybe in slow-mo, but let, let's get him on a kinogram and, you know, maybe a guy has a, t- and then you got to worry about technical versus mechanical fault, right? So you can't fix a technical cue, a technical fault with a mechanical cue. So what I mean by that is if a guy's technique is the issue, don't look to, okay, loosen up his hip flexor, which may be a mechanical issue, right? And vice versa. If a guy is an extremely um, kyphotic or lordotic, right? you're not going to fix that with a technical cue, right? Oh, like hips forward or chest up. Like you're not going to fix that with a, with a technical cue. So I think that, that discrepancy and difference between those two are really important. Yeah. Well said. Um, I'm aware that you and our local and mutual friend, Ken Clark have just launched something called sprint timber, mate. Can we, can we talk about that and what it is and um, where the idea came from? Yeah, sure. It's uh, so I, and I talked to Ken. I'm like, dude, we gotta, we gotta sprint more often and hang out more often. I mean, he lives 15 minutes from me. Um, but you know, it, it's pretty much a month dedicated to speed development and sprinting education for coaches. Right. I'm posting on it pretty much every day on my Instagram. I'll be posting something educational about it. Um, you know, I'll be diving in a little deeper. I think Ken will probably post a couple times on it as well. Um, but I think us as coaches tend to over attribute the weight room to successes on the field, right? Transfer is king to sport. We're trying to make these guys better football players, better athletes, right? Nobody ever bench pressed their way to a Super Bowl, right? I think transfer is the key. And when it comes to that, sprinting has, in my opinion, an extreme amount of transfer comparatively to a squat. So I'm just trying to, you know, it's a fun, it's, interactive. I want people to post about it. I want people to, to pull up their, their flying 10 times. I want people to get faster during this month, but I also want just to get the interaction, the conversations going around sprinting a little more. So um, I'm selling t-shirts, but I'm putting out a free sprint program essentially. Right. And I, and I'm, I'm doing it myself and our staff's doing it. And a lot of people are signed up for it right now. Um, I think by the time this podcast drops, it'll, it'll be live in September, but <clears throat> I, I really just came from, came from, you know, me thinking like, Hey man, like what's something that 
could be fun, something interactive. We're in quarantine. I might have a little more time on my hand. Maybe, hey, let's try this. See, see if it catches on. But you know, it'll be it'll be fun. It'll be. Uh, I'm excited for it. Yeah, it sounds um, novel, but at the same time, equally as uh, as useful. To be honest, whether it's a training tool for yourself or whether it's a developmental tool professionally, um, by the sounds of it, mate. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it, it's fun for for me being you know a washed up slow athlete. I think, but um, but but it's educational for coaches because I'm posting a lot of content on <clears throat> one. I'm putting out a free sprint program for the month, right? And then two, uh, I'm posting a lot of educational content on on the concepts of sprinting and kind of what we dove into in this podcast a little bit. And I think as well, it hopefully it will, it will encourage some of the coaches out there or clinicians, especially as well to um, start becoming more comfortable outside of the weights room and on the field where, like you said, you get more training transfer. Um, and I think where, you know, stereotypically people have been a little bit less comfortable in their own yeah. sort of environments. Yeah. Everybody's really comfortable coaching a back squat or bench press. And I don't think people are nearly as comfortable coaching, uh, you know, on the field. And if they do, it's knee up, toe up and arms. Those are the, those are the two most overused cues I think in, in the coaching community. <laughs> where's the, um, what's the kind of social handle for sprint timber or, you know, where's the best place for people to follow it? Yeah. So the website will be just dash sprint. So like the hyphen just dash sprint.com. And then I'm posting all of it on my Instagram at TuckerMike43. Um, so I'm posting all that stuff on there. Um, I'm normally not a social media guy. I guess quarantine has, quote unquote, allowed me to download and interact with coaches, right? Because that's where we initially linked up. And I think that's an extremely useful tool. It can be an extremely dangerous tool if you don't use it properly. But if you're following good people and connecting with the right people, you get some really good conversations and learning going. Yeah, for sure. And um are you on Twitter as well, or are you just a, an Instagram guy? Uh, so through work, I'm at Nova FB underscore strength, but uh, I really just retweet uh, our recruiting and page. And <laughs> I, I try to, I got to be better about that, man. I, I, I don't love social media, but using it as a tool, but I, I really just retweet what, what what's going on with our team, to be honest with you on that. Cool. Yeah. So the website and the Instagram is the best place to follow you. And um, Yeah, definitely. And we'll link it in our show notes and we'll get this episode um, turned over quickly so that it's in time for, for Sprint Timber. So I would definitely encourage all the listeners to uh, to check out both your page, but also the website as well to sort of either keep an eye on what the program looks like and, and if they can to actually participate in it themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Feel free to ask questions too. shoot me a DM. I'm, I'm really open to, you know, your experience and, your, and us all learning and growing together. You can tell me how terrible the sprint program is and how you got 10 times slower too, if you want. Um, so anytime you guys want to reach out, let me know. Perfect. Well, Mike, thanks so much for coming on. And you know, when things are a bit more normal or you're in Philly, we can, we can grab a beer. Yes. Sounds good. Perfect. Thanks mate. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Mike Tucker and I definitely recommend checking out Sprint Timber from Mike and Ken Clark. They've both collectively got a ton of practical coaching experience and Ken is also a very experienced researcher in the speed development and biomechanics space. So whilst the name Sprint Timber might be novel, I have absolutely no doubts that their, their combined content will be excellent through this September. As I said at the start of the show, we have some really good guests coming up in the next few weeks that I really don't want you to miss. Hit subscribe and follow our social media profiles. So Inform Performance on Instagram or Inform Pod on Twitter. As usual, you can find our show notes on our website or our contact details. And our website is informperformance.com. 
Thanks for listening to today's episode. Tune in next week for more performance and sports medicine insights with me, Andy McDonald.